0: Yo, yo, what up everyone? This is your life coach, Jacob Sokol, and welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life. You're about to access a roadmap specifically designed for people in our generation like you and me who are looking to figure out how to create a life filled with happiness, success, and a deep sense of purpose while simultaneously dealing with the challenges of today. This interview is with Tony Schwartz. Tony is the founder and CEO of The Energy Project, a company that helps individuals and organizations fuel energy, engagement, focus, and productivity by harnessing the science of high performance. So the long story short is that we've been lied to. We were told that if we want to get things done, well, then we need to manage our time. Tony eloquently dispels that myth and gives us the real solution. We need to manage our energy. So if you're not well-equipped with the knowledge of energy management, you'll definitely want to get excited about this chat. You're going to learn why energy management is the key to productivity and how to rock it, how to deal with the times when you need that cup of coffee or are fiending for that sugar high, why recovery is the most important thing you schedule, and how to master your emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual energy. Hey, Tony. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Happy to be here. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I'm happy you're here as well. I'm so inspired by your work, and out of the kind of last three years, I've just spent immersing myself in big ideas for how to create an optimal life, and out of probably over a thousand big ideas that I've come across, I'd say that the wisdom that you offer is in the top 10 or 20 big ideas for actually just practically increasing the quality of our life. So I'm that excited to have you on board today, and uh, looking forward to the chat. Super. Great. Well, I'd love to start the chat on a personal note and kind of introduce you more to the people who are listening. And I think a great way to start would be for me to ask you what some of the challenges that you faced were as a young adult.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I have to say, as a father of two daughters who are in their 20s, uh, actually one in their 20s and one just out of her 20s into her thirtieth year. Um I'm re experiencing what it's like to you know be a young adult. Um for me, uh the I think I was maybe much like uh kids in your generation, uh I was impatient. I really wanted to um not only did I want to sort of move up the ladder professionally, uh quickly, but i also um, I also wanted to uh, have a job that had meaning and influence immediately and I think in that respect, I was a little unusual for my generation, but now it 's very common in yours and it 's interesting you know we have a a team here at the Energy Project with uh, Oh, I would say, you know, a third of our group uh, or more is are, are are people under the age of 30. And it's been a real challenge to me to think about how to provide uh, opportunities that engage them, because I think the reality is that um, we're all more knowledgeable, more educated, more thoughtful, more impatient than we ever have been because we've been exposed to so much now. That's especially true of uh of millennials, and for me, uh, the challenge was to find a way to accept uh, that there was a learning curve and that I couldn't be uh, in the position of the greatest influence from day one that I really had to uh you know pay my dues, and I don't mean pay my dues in a stupid way. Uh, there are a lot of companies that ask you to pay them in a stupid way, uh, meaning to give you things to do that in no way enrich you but just put you through uh, kind of you know the the challenge of tolerating what you're doing uh, so for me uh it it was how do I both pursue a career uh, and make 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 do with the opportunities I had? And at the same time, I was interested, and this is probably a little unusual. I was extremely interested in what was going on in my inner life. I was extremely interested in uh, my own understand, you know, in understanding what was motivating me, what was a source of fear, what was uh, uh, what what I could possibly do to make my own experience, my inner experience, better.
2: What did you find? What were some of the motivating aspects and some of the fears that you had to go in and figure out?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I was. what I've come to realize is there's a great quote uh, that's been attributed to lots of different philosophers, and it's not clear where it came from, but uh, be kind for everyone is fighting a difficult battle. Uh, You know, it's really helpful to know, which I did not at that time, that um, it's tough to be a human being. <laughs> and, and we're incredibly vulnerable to the experience that we're not good enough. I mean, that just popped into my mind, but it's a variation on a theme we talk about in our work with you know, not only 30 and 40-year-olds, but 50 and 60-year-olds. It's tough to wake up every day and face this challenge that nobody tells you is there of kind of, how do I justify my existence? How do I find meaning? How do I um, experience some level of comfort and safety in a world which often feels very unsafe? Uh, And I think, you know, for me, uh, just as a function of the family I grew up in, uh, which was um you know i had i don't know that i had the the worst parents uh i know i didn't have the best parents but i had uh i had my own difficult set of challenges with my with my parents and with my you know growing up and i carried into my life a lot of fear uh which is interesting because you know uh many many years later um you know i've i've managed to to get a lot of that under Uh, under better control and to kind of work with it. But, but, you know, the issue of fear and the fear of at the most basic level of, of I'm not good enough or I'm not getting enough. I'm not being valued enough. That's an issue that I and all of us consciously or unconsciously struggle with forever. And it's nice to know that that's true. I want to say that to whoever your audience is that listen, Yes, it's true, but you're in good company. We're all fighting a difficult battle.
2: Yeah, it's incredible how curative just awareness can be and, and not feeling like we're isolated and we're the only one going through that challenge. But, hey, there's an entire... Species, my brothers, my sisters, this entire race is kind of going through this, human race is going through this this challenge of feeling like on some level there's a little bit of doubt in us that we may not be good enough, and that's just not particular to who we are, but kind of how we function.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah, right on. Well, I'm so excited to get into some of the work around energy, and um, it was an incredible thing. So I'm 27 now, and when I came across your work, I was probably 24 And the idea that struck me, which is, I think, one of the main threads that you weave throughout your work is that it's really about managing energy, not time. And that's the key to high performance. So for someone who's just completely not familiar with that idea, how can we best introduce them to the idea of kind of full engagement and what energy management
1: entails? Well, you know, everybody uh, is familiar with time management and knows that, you know, whether they've done it in a formal way or informally, we've all tried to figure out ways to be more efficient and how to organize our time and, you know, how do we get everything done given all the demands in our lives. And, you know, we all have high demands, doesn't no matter almost now what age you're at. Uh, but the problem is that time is finite, and there are, you know there' are only twenty four hours in a day and one hundred and sixty eight hours in a week, and you 're never going to have any more than that and most people I meet today, their dance cards are full there's no more available time, and in fact, because of technology, every free moment, the instinct is to fill it with inf- incoming information you know that you have access to through your various digital technologies or uh, to send, you know, one kind of, uh, you know, one, one sort of information or another to someone else. So, you know, all of your time is, is taken up. And if that's the case, and it's the case that demand is increasing in our lives, and no one, I think, would argue with that, then you have to ask yourself, well, how am I going to build, how am I going to increase my capacity to deal with all of this? And since time isn't a resource that's going to work for us in the future, and it's the one we've been relying on, what's what's the alternative? And our alternative, we believe, is, is energy. And energy, Jacob, is just the capacity to do work. That's how it's defined in physics. So if you have more energy, you have more capacity. So think of those as interchangeable. Capacity is just the fuel in your tank. It's what makes it possible for you to bring your skill and talent to life. So the great thing about energy is that it's inside us. So unlike time, it's something over which we have direct influence, and it's something we can increase. We can increase the availability of energy to us, or you know specifically because you can't actually increase the amount of energy. If you've taken even the most basic physics, you know that you're stuck with the amount of energy there is, but you can convert one kind of energy into another. So for example, if you're at the most primitive, basic level, not primitive, but basic you can convert glucose into energy usable for doing tasks. But then you've got to understand, well, what's the best kind of glucose? When do you want to eat it? How much of it do you want to eat you know, as it's contained in foods? All of that is just one little piece of the energy management puzzle. That's a physical piece of the energy management puzzle. So what we want to get good at is how do I increase the energy available to me? Second, and maybe even more important, how do I regularly refuel and renew the energy available to me? Because, you know, the only resources that last, this is as true of the environment and the planet as it is of ourselves, are resources we renew. So you've got to figure out how do I regularly renew my energy? And that's not something the culture tells us matters. Meaning, we're told from the day we get conscious and you know on the treadmill of life that the best people do more bigger faster and that's what you get rewarded for and rest is for slackers but the reality is that rest renewal refueling rejuvenating all of those are critical components of sustainable You can call it performance or you can call it effectiveness, you know, because effectiveness could apply to things that aren't about performance. Uh, Effectiveness could be, you know, effectiveness in your relationships. But all of those require that you refuel the tank because human beings are rhythmic beings. We are designed to spend energy and renew energy. And then the third piece of the energy puzzle is that you can. Use it more efficiently if you understand what's going on inside you. And again, we've never been told that it's important to understand what's inside us, how we work inside, meaning neurochemically in the brain, physiologically in the body, psychologically for our emotions. Nobody's ever said to us, boy, you really need to understand that. But we do because that's how we learn to be skillful using it. And finally, Jacob, there are four kinds of energy for a human being. There's physical energy, which is the quantity of your energy. There's emotional energy, which is the quality of your energy. There's mental energy, which is the focus of your energy. And finally, there's spiritual energy, which is the purpose to which you put your energy. Each of those four sources of energy are critical. None of them is sufficient by itself. They all influence each other. And we understand, most of us, too little about each of them.
2: Yeah, incredible. You know, when I was 24 years old, I uh, was going through somewhat of an existential shit show. And I was just having an allergic reaction to my life. Kind of had the corporate job (laughs) and did all the things that I thought I should be doing and was just realizing more of this is not going to work. Right? I'm still going to be freaking out and breaking out um, in this environment. So I didn't know what to do. But I knew that money wasn't my primary currency, so I ended up leaving this job and kind of going on this this quest to figure out who am I and what am I here to do and what's my purpose, and so much of that is is what we're speaking about. It's that introspection to figure out those things that we don't get taught in school and in, in life, and the conclusion that I came to not shortly after, or rather shortly after leaving the job was that if money isn't my primary currency, what is, and I the way I was able to describe it before ever coming in contact with your work was energy. Energy is my primary currency because without energy, I can't – and I kind of describe energy in a couple different ways as you do, like the physical energy to be able to to go out and hustle and and take this – seriously that I just left my job. Like, that's not a a thing to be taken lightly. I want to make sure that I'm responsible about this. And at the same time, my emotional energy, I want my mood to influence myself and other people in a good way. I want my mental clarity to be there. And I hadn't put the purpose piece into it um, at at that point, kind of classifying that as energy. But that was a huge component of it. It's that existential crisis. What am I here to do? What's the purpose of all this? So um, just appreciating coming in contact with your work and how you've done research to kind of prove those, prove those uh, ideas from a more grounded standpoint.
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting about what you just said, which was really well said, um, is that what happened to you is that you intuitively, in effect you listened to yourself, and you intuitively figured out, hey, I, I need a certain volume of energy, I, I need to feel a certain way, I need to focus in a certain way. And what people often come to and say to us about our work is after they've been introduced to it, they'll say, hey, I, I already knew all this, and I used to be offended by that. I'm not anymore, because what I realize is, you know, there are certain ideas, there are certain principles that have been around for thousands of years And they go in and out of people's awareness. They go in and out of fashion, depending on what's going on in the world. But they are enduring truths about the way the world works. And you're much better off in life to stick close to the principles that have been proved and demonstrated and lived over and over and over again than you are to try to come up with some new way of Operating. There, you know, there are ways that human beings thrive, and we've lost touch with them, especially during the last 10 or 20 years, the, you know, the years during which you and your generation grew up. We've lost touch with them because of the speed of our lives above all else, because we're moving so fast and doing so many different things and allowing so many inputs to hit us at once, that we're incapable of stopping long enough to say, to ask, the kinds of questions that, and, and I admire you for this, that you started asking yourself way before most people do, but it would pay for everybody to ask them early, which are, you know, who, who am I, and, and why am I here? That question, why am I here, which is the, the key purpose question, you know, what what was i put here to do and you know the the buddhists talk about three sort of three stages of life they say the first stage is that you are a student you're learning and that stage goes what until you're you know early 20s somehow somewhere and then the second stage is you're a householder and that means that your primary responsibility is and remember this is thousands of years ago and people lived shorter periods of time. They became householders very young. But a householder is, you know, your primary responsibilities around your family and you're building your security and your well-being. And then the third stage is to be what they call bodhisattva, which is that you're in service to something larger than yourself. Now what I believe is that we now live in a world in which these roles actually ought to be ones that to a greater or lesser degree we are, we are balancing all throughout our lives. And, you know, there's nothing, I believe, as satisfying as feeling that you are adding value to others in the world. We spend a lot of time taking value. And when you're in your 20s and when you're in your teens, there's a lot to be said for that if you're doing it in a good way. Like to, to take in information and to learn and to get wiser and to be able to manage yourself yourself Those are all great things. But it's good also to know that you're doing that ultimately in the service of being in a position to move from taking value from other people to giving value to other people. And as you get older, that becomes more and more where you want to put your energy. When you're young, it's still important to recognize, as apparently you have, that that's not only a good thing to do, meaning it makes you feel good about yourself, but it's a uh, it's it's a it's an important thing to do in the world. And and I'm
2: I'm being a, a bit asking the obvious question here, but is that how we find a sense of purpose through that adding value?
1: Oh, without question, it's actually I believe the only way to find purpose, adding value. Now. That's not to be too limited about what you have to do to add value. You don't have to be Mother Teresa to add value in the world. You can add value by the conscious way you treat people each and every day. You can add value by being an artist, create of, of, a, of a million different kinds. You know, a, a painter or a dancer or a writer or whatever it is. Where you're not actually directly adding value to other people, you are you are. Uh, you're plying your own trade, you're developing your own way of presenting your, your creative ideas to the world, but the net effect of it is that you are either entertaining people or educating people or deepening people. So it, a lot of it has to do with just the perspective you take. If you, that's why I say it's so important to start with the questions that uh, we often don't ask, if at all, until later in our lives. What am I here to do? What, what do I do well? What is it that I, I seem to have a natural inclination for, a natural gift for? Uh, what do I love doing? Because if you don't love doing it, even if it's hard at times, but if you don't fundamentally love doing it, then it's going to take away the energy you bring to it. And if you do love doing it, it's going to add to it. And then how can I use those two to add value in some way that makes sense to me. Yes, that's it. That's the whole
2: game. Right on. Well, I want to make sure that we go back and touch a little bit more on the energy uh, and the different ways that we can manage our energy effectively because I just think that that's such a huge principle for young adults to start to understand. So what's some things that they should know about effectively managing the different types of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual energy that they have?
1: Yeah, so uh, let, me just, let me just flick at a couple of big principles. First one that I'll go back to is this idea that human beings are meant to be rhythmic. So you have to make as important in your life the renewal of energy as you do the spending of energy because it's not the number of hours you work that determines the value you create. It's the, it's the quality and quantity of energy and focus of energy you bring to whatever hours you work so to understand that very specifically it turns out we're designed to operate in 90-minute cycles day and night meaning if when we got on this call so happens that you know i had a few minutes to just relax i had i had uh, something to eat and let's say i was at a high level of energy and let's pretend that we were talking for 90 minutes over that 90 minutes my Physiologically, I would move progressively into a state of fatigue, and by 90 minutes, my body would be screaming at me, give me a break. We have to, uh, we have to uh, pay attention to what our bodies are telling us. So if you can learn to operate in 90-minute cycles, you'll find that it's life-changing, meaning these short periods of intense focus and for kids your age, there's nothing more important than understanding in this respect that the most powerful way to get something done at a high quality in, a, in, in the shortest period of time is to do one thing at a time. And that every time you move to answer one of your digital devices, you are increasing the amount of time it's going to take you to finish the initial task you were set out on, And you're going to be more like, it's going to be more difficult to do it at a high level of quality because your attention is fractured. So to really reorient, I'm thinking of a guy who I met at uh, Google who was a brilliant young engineer and he came up to me after a talk I did and he said to me, hey, am I getting this right? You're telling me I can't look at Facebook for certain periods of time during the day? And I said, well, I'm not telling you you can't, but what I'm telling you is if you take certain periods where you are fully focused on the primary task you want to do, you'll be better off. And he said, well, I can't do that. And I said, why not? He said, well, then I'd be completely out of contact with my friends. And I said, well, my friend, um, you've got a learning journey to make. Um, And the learning journey is that you – when you're, when you're engaged, you want to be fully engaged in whatever it is. So if you're with your friends, be with your friends. And when you're disengaged, when you're recovering, when you're renewing, make that about fully refueling the tank, doing things that actually refuel the tank. So that's the biggest single principle is to operate in this rhythmic way. The second biggest principle is to recognize that emotionally, so I was talking about a principle that starts at the physical level, but affects all the levels. Remember the levels were physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. At the emotional level, it's to recognize that the way you want to feel, now I'll I'll say this slowly because it'll seem confusing at first, the way you want to feel at any given time during the day, in order to be at your best or in order to perform at your best, is the way you feel when you perform at your best. So in other words, if you imagine, how do I feel when I'm at my best? And you think of the adjectives associated with that. Those are the adjectives that you want to feel all the time when you're trying to get something done. And if you think of that, Jacob, tell me what the first adjective or two that occurs to you is what that occurs to you about how you feel when you're at your best or performing at your best? Inspired, happy, uh, motivated, thriving, flowing. Okay, there you go. So flowing, inspired, happy, motivated. Those, those adjectives have two things in common. On quantity of energy, from low to high, they're all associated with high energy, aren't they? Yep. And on quality of energy, from negative to positive, they're all associated with positive energy. So in other words, the way you need to feel to perform at your best is high positive energy. But of course, we don't feel high positive energy all the time, do we? We're often feeling a whole bunch of other things. So to become aware of how you're feeling, and then to recognize that you have the power to influence how you feel, and I'm not going to talk at great length about That in this short conversation, but to recognize that how you feel influences how effective you are in everything you do and that we know how you need to feel to be at your best and that you can influence the way you feel. That's a critical, critical piece of being able to be, to have a life that works better. So those are two big ideas that, you know, that I'd start with. Okay, hey,
2: right on. And uh, so 90 minute intervals, and then after 90 minute intervals, how much time do we need to take off in order to recover before we go back to another 90 minute interval?
1: As long as it takes to feel refueled. If you breathe, so it's not about how long you recover, it's about how well you recover. It's not about how long, how many hours you put in when you work. It's about how fully engaged you are when you're working. we got to shift the whole paradigm. It's not about hours. It's it's not about time. It's about energy. So from a point of view of recovery, if you think about fitness, fitness is actually defined as the speed of recovery. So the fitter you are, the faster you recover. Well, what does that tell us? What it tells us is that in order to be good at recovery, you have to practice recovery. And the more you practice recovery, the better you get at it. So for example, if you were in a very tough situation where there's a lot of deadline and demand, where your tendency is to just hunker down and stay the course and burn the midnight oil, the reality is that it's even more important that in those times you're finding opportunities to renew. You can completely clear the bloodstream of cortisol in as little as one minute. Cortisol is the stress hormone most so that we use to fuel ourselves in emergencies, but that is a toxic hormone when it circulates in our body for long. It's a stress hormone. So you can clear the bloodstream of cortisol, put yourself back into the sort of emotional and physical state that you wanna be in, in as little as a minute, by breathing in through your nose to a count of three and out through your mouth to a count of six in a very focused way. And the better you get at that breathing exercise, meaning the more that's what you're doing during the one minute that you're doing it, the better the quality of recovery you'll get. So when you ask me how long do you need to recover, my answer is it depends on how well you recover. So you could recover, quote, unquote, watching TV and playing, you know, and, and updating Facebook and tweeting your friends and call that recovery for hours without getting much real recovery. But you could singly focus on your breath for one minute and get a lot of recovery.
2: Yeah, I'm starting to realize that this conversation is really going to serve as the, as the introduction to your work, and that uh, for a lot of people, and that this is going to be a great gateway to lead them into doing their own exploration of these different principles and ideas. So, I want to honor your energy and ask how can young adults, or where would you suggest that young adults continue this quest of figuring out how to effectively manage their energy through your work? If there's a resource, or a website, or a program, yeah. or a book, what yeah. would you suggest?
1: Yes. Well, I hope, first of all, I hope that there comes a time when we can offer this work um, publicly and freely to uh, anybody who wants to do it. Right now, we do it only in organizations, but we do have a website, theenergyproject.com, which has a ton of resources that go well, well beyond where I've gone so far with you today. So theenergyproject.com. And then there's the most recent book I wrote. It's called "Be Excellent at Anything," and it's available at a very reasonable price, I believe, uh, you know, ten or eleven bucks or twelve bucks, something like that, on Amazon or on BarnesandNoble.com or any of those websites. Um, that really is kind of a primer about how to manage your own energy, and it is, uh, to a large extent, focused on uh, on individual uh, behaviors that you can undertake. And now that I say that, I'm thinking, I have an earlier book that is even less expensive (laughs) because it's been around for a long time and I'm mindful of the fact that, you know, younger folks want to spend less. So I think for for, you know, three or four bucks, you can get a book I wrote called The Power of Full Engagement, Managing Energy, Not Time, going to the same sources, The Power of Full Engagement, And again, it has many of these principles. The difference between that book and the first book I mentioned, Be Excellent at Anything, is that the newer book is the product seven years later of a lot of additional thinking. But the most basic principles, particularly the ones I've been talking about today, are contained in both books.
2: Okay, right on, so thrilled that we got a chance to connect and help spread this wisdom to my generation who uh, needs it just as much as any other generation ever has. And want to appreciate you for all the work that you've done and just your time and and your generosity to, uh, to chat
0: with us today. So thanks for taking it, Tony.
1: Happy to do it. Thank you.
0: So let's take a look at a couple of my favorite big ideas from this interview. Big idea number one, rejuvenation. We've all heard of time management, but time is finite which means you can't get more of it. Energy management is the answer. It's what puts the fuel in your tank and makes it possible for you to bring your skill and talent to life. So the questions that we want to ask ourselves are, 1. How do we increase the energy available to us? 2. How do we regularly refuel and renew our energy? And 3. How do we use our energy most efficiently? We've all been told that in order to be the best people, we need to do more, bigger, and faster, and that rest is for slackers. But the reality is that rest, rejuvenation, and recovery, these are the things which are required for us to perform at our highest. Now, remember, there's four types of energy for human beings. Physical energy, which is the quantity, how much energy you have. Emotional energy, which is the quantity. Mental energy, which is the focus of your energy, and spiritual energy, which is the purpose to which you use all your other energy. These are all critical and intertwined and under-acknowledged by most of us. Big idea number two, 90-minute cycles of full engagement. Human beings are meant to be rhythmic, and we want to make renewing our energy as important as we make spending our energy. It's not the number of hours that you work which will determine your success. It's the quality that you bring to whatever hours you do work. That's a big idea. We're designed to operate in 90-minute cycles, so pay attention to what your body is saying and aim for short periods of intense focus. The most powerful way to get something done at a high quality is to fully engage. And remember, it's not about how long we recover, it's about how well we recover. When you're engaged, you want to be fully engaged whether that's with your friends or at work. Big idea number three, feeling and performing at our best. We need to become aware of how we're feeling and then recognize that we have the power to change how we feel because when we feel at our best, we perform at our best. That's a huge idea. When we feel at our best, we perform at our best. So what do you need to do to get yourself feeling at your best? A quick hack for recovery is breathing in for a count of three and out for a count of six. In for a count of three and out for a count of six. Kelly McGonigal also teaches us about this in the interview that we did with her. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So if you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast and I'm excited to deepen our relationship to get to know each other better over time and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here and we run retreats all over the world we've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life and what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on. On facebook and there's some magic in there so in order to grab a copy of that you can go to thank you jacob.com. sounds simple and it is thank you jacob.com and uh, grab that immediately and i will keep in touch through personal emails that i send out a couple times a month and all that goodness so for now sending you lots of love keep it real follow your heart but bring your head peace